Welcome to the Lloyd's List podcast. This is Michelle Vesey-Bogman, Senior Analyst, Lloyd's List Intelligence and Markets Editor, Lloyd's List. This is the first in a special series of podcasts to be broadcast this week to introduce our listeners to the seven candidates standing for election for the position of Secretary General at the International Maritime Organization. I'll be introducing you to the four men and three women standing for the top job in shipping, and they represent Bangladesh, China, Dominica, Finland, Kenya, Panama, and Turkey. The vote takes place on Tuesday, July 18, and the winner will take the helms at the IMO for a pivotal time in its history. I think it's fair to say that the United Nations Agency is well known for being insular. Indeed, the Wall Street Journal only last week referred to it as being clubby and obscure. This podcast series aims to give listeners an insight into the people that could be shaping the organisation's future direction. Kicking us off is Arsenio Dominguez, the candidate for Panama. His parents wanted him to become a doctor, and he went and studied naval architecture in Mexico instead. The rest, as they say, is history. He's currently the director at the IMO's Marine Environment Division and a well-known face to many in maritime diplomatic circles. We sat down a few weeks back now at the Lloyd's List offices in London, and I started asking him exactly why he decided to stand. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Really appreciate the opportunity of uh, uh, having this conversation with you. Um, I will bring you back to my roots, and it's how shipping has been part of my life ever since I went to university. And that's where, of course, I was trained as a, as a naval architect. Went back to Panama, spent a couple of years working uh, on ship repairs and maintenance, as well as on port operations. And since 1998, for 25 years and counting, I've been working in one way or another related to in relation with the organization. So I've been working with and at IMO constantly. Um, and it's the passion and dedication that I have for the sector, uh, the good work that we do at the organization, how it actually affects everyone around the globe, taking into account how important shipping mm-hmm. is uh, to society. Um, and of course, I want things to continue to improve, things to do better. I know the topics of the organization so I can actually support the process. I know the organization inside, so I know what can be done to actually improve the way that we provide the services uh, to the member states and to stakeholders in general. And I consider myself um, relevant and current enough to actually take the organizations to the, through the upcoming challenges as well as preparing for the new generations, the ones that are actually going to take over from us. One of the, the trickiest things I think this the, the Secretary General will have to do when he or she comes in at the beginning of 2024 is, is unify and not so much bang heads together, but reach consensus in some very, very difficult debates. And I mean, you've sat on the Marine Environment Protection Committee now for four years? Four years. So it's really the epicentre of, of, of dispute on many, many levels. How are you going to unify a really divided, deeply entrenched IMO? Um, you're correct. We have challenges and have experience from that. I was a very active delegate when I was with Panama, for example, in 2011, by the time that we adopted the EEDI, which entered into force mm. in 2013. And when I took E-E-D-I. over... EEDI. EEDI. Sorry. <laughs> the Energy Efficiency Design Index. Thank you. To you, so I am. Thank you for that correction. Yeah, no, uh, no acronyms. No acronyms today. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you for that advice. 
Um, when we carried out uh, we, the, the entry into force of the Energy Efficiency Design Index Regulation in 2013, I was already vice chair of the committee. Uh, so, of course, working heavily in bringing the parties together after such a difficult decision that went through a vote. Mm. Uh, and when I took over in 2014, one of my main roles was actually to bring the parties together, to find the common areas mm. that would actually allow us to progress uh, the agendas of the IMO, in this case, particularly the environmental agenda, and at the same time, taking care of the concerns, the very valid concerns that are there, because we know that not all mm. countries can actually act in the same way or, or, or implement at the same speed of time and then take into account all those concerns and start working into the measures and the actions that we could do as countries, as the organizations and with other stakeholders and even with the support with other UN agencies in order to move, continue to move forward. So we know that there will be different of opinions mm. in some areas, but the good thing is that I always find that uh, the, the parties are together in the goals, it's how we get to the goals. Mm. So for me is focusing on getting that goal and immediately start working on the challenges that we have, the different steps that we have to take to support those countries that need, particularly small island developing states mm. and least developed countries, to actually bring them all together onto the table so we move together as one. So, the IMO budget. And I'm going to ask you about transparency and accountability in a okay. minute. I actually don't know what the budget is because it's not released to the public. It's just given to the member states. So it's oh, it's secret. Um, we can't report on it. So with that in mind, the IMO budget, is it enough? Would you increase it? Um, how would you manage the IMO secretariat? Um, I can spend a lot of time mm. talking to you about this because of my mm. experience of yeah. being inside the secretariat. Mm. Of course, I started in 2017 as mm. chief of staff for two years. Mm. Then I went to director of the administrative division during the COVID pandemic mm. for two years. So I was in charge of preparing the budget that mm. was approved at the last assembly, mm. which is the one that we are, we are going through for this biennium. Mm. And of course, since last year, January last year, director of the Marine Environment Division. Um, I recognize the challenges of the organizations when it comes to the budget. I recognize the challenges of the member states for the financial global situation as well when it comes to the budget. Um, for me, it's starting on the inside, the areas of the organizations where we can actually improve processes and procedures to streamline them, to actually be less bureaucratic, use those opportunities in order to actually move the internal resources, and I'm talking about human resources mm. and financial resources to the areas that are more needed. We can actually find the ways to um, outsource, provide different support to other areas of the budget, for example, when it comes to translation of documents or the IT services that we provide. So there's a lot of opportunities mm. and the experience that I have from actually managing that division of where we can actually get those gains. And that will be important to demonstrate to the member states that we're very responsible with the budget and that we actually acknowledge the challenges that they face. At the same time, we have the strategic plan of the organizations for six years as well as the work program of all the committees, which allow us to actually plan further ahead to the member states, not just every two years, but give them a little bit more of advice and notice of when we expect certain changes. Mm. We can even improve the way that we do some recruitment processes as well in order to be more diverse, in order to actually be more flexible organization that's more attractive to younger generation. So there are many areas mm. of organization where we can actually improve. When it comes to transparency, since you mentioned mm. it, um, sometimes, personally, I feel that they the talk about transparency is also the way that we actually 
have our websites and the way that you access documents mm -hmm. because the assembly resolutions for the budgets are published the assembly is a public document a public meeting so the documents are there mm -hmm. which is the ones that are approved it's just that the way that you have to navigate sometimes mm -hmm. to actually get to those but for me it would be actually good if we have other rules and regulations out in the in the public domain website of the organization because it's part of the UN, it's, it's transparency mm. and it's nothing to hide. It's approved, we're responsible, we have we manage the budget of the organization, we are responsible in the auditing, the external auditing that is mm. done to the organization mm. every year and when we have observations, we have to address those observations. It's part of the process of any company and we shouldn't be any different. What about transparency in the sense that you're going to perhaps have meetings placed online for access to the public, not just accredited um, members and countries? Because I know that um, the agreement to have meetings online only extends towards the end of this year. After that, it's, it, it's up for, for another decision. Where do you stand on that? Oh, my expectation is that we're going to continue. Once mm. we started and after all the experience mm. from COVID, uh, and the way that we've been working with this pilot project, because yes, mm. we started as a pilot project mm. to get a more formal experience of how to, to address mm. that, which also looks into the areas where we need to improve on our systems, our process, mm -hmm. our rules, our relations, etc. So there's more work to be done. But for me, it's actually very positive that we are moving towards that uh, more openness areas of the organization. Um, it, it's been demonstrated as well that the hybrid meetings for anyone that is registered to participate that is abroad that cannot travel for any reasons. You can have weather problems or cancellations or you can actually you know, have a, a, an illness or, or, or a cold or something and so you cannot travel. You can actually follow that online. Yes, it's always going to be the challenge of different time zones, but at least the opportunities are there. Nothing replaces the when it comes to negotiations, the face-to-face. -face. We all mm. agree to that. Mm. But it is important that people that need to participate to be aware of the process also have that opportunity. And for me, we just need to continue to improve the systems that we have, um, continue to learn from all the UN agencies. And here I'm going to go a little bit further when it comes to transparency, because I've been in meetings in the United Nations as well, when sometimes some parts of the meetings are private. And mm. even as a UN agency, I'm an observer to those mm. and countries decide that for specific situations, uh, they need to have a closed session and then we come back and continue. IMO, it's kind of moving into that direction, that transitions. Some, some, some meetings are more closed than others, uh, but it, it's how we transition to that. And, and this is for me what is important, that we are transitioning. Member states get the, the confidence and, and the expertise and the experience in actually getting to that level where we continue to open it more and more. This also has to be the fact that we need to improve on some of the technical aspects of the services that we provide. And then, of course, it's a budget. So we need to do a very good planning into how we get that presented to the member states, the advantages that it brings to it, and then we can actually move forward. Can I make a suggestion? Of the, course you can. The Wi-Fi in the media room. <laughs> The Wi-Fi, the IMO is terrible. Did you not know that? I do know that. Yes. And, and again, <laughs> we have the, the areas where we have to improve. Uh, it has happened. You know, mm. I've been in meetings where yeah. I'm sitting in the podium yeah. from the secretariat mm. and we cannot access the documents. We have to delay the meetings because of that. Um, and it's part of the whole process for me mm. to actually, the several areas that I'm aware of experiencing on a daily mm. basis that we can actually improve and do better. So we've kind of covered this, but 
But let's talk about your action plan for the IMO. Should you be successful for the next four, probably eight years, because whoever wins is usually going to be re-elected for a second term. Do you have one and, and what is it? Uh, I, I have a plan and, um, and it's been out since December. Um, I hope you know that, that people have the opportunity to see it. I even have a website where it, it can be downloaded as well in all different official languages of the organization. Um, four pillars for me, and I'm going to and I'm, gonna, I'm going to be yeah. quite succinct because I can I can get very excited and, and, and talk to you about uh, about it for hours. Yeah. Uh, the first pillar is uh, the work of the organization, and of course uh, that is the decisions of the member states, but it's the role that a secretariat and as secretary general will play into the negotiations in providing support to, to the meetings uh, from research and documents that can actually facilitate uh, the process as well. Um, focusing on the main agendas, of course, the environment and the protection of the oceans is one, but we cannot um, sideline safety because it's one of the main topics of the organization, security, automation, and in particular the human element, because seafarers are actually the core of the industry. Um, and we noticed that during the COVID pandemic again. Um, and of course, for me, the, the, the other part that is important is the connection that all these topics have, because with a very well um, a trained and equipped uh, crew on board a vessel, with the necessary automation and safety, you actually improve uh, the logistical operations of the vessels, which in the end is going to improve the energy efficiency of the vessel as well. So it's making all those linkages, not working in isolation as we move ahead to the next you know, 10 years of the organization. The second part um, is the technical cooperation, the support that we give to the member states, in particularly smaller developing states and least developed countries, for the rules that we actually uh, agreed mm -hmm. at the organization. And it's changing a little bit more, moving into better planning and measuring the success of these operations, uh, these training uh, technical cooperations, in order to use the success areas and replicate them in, in other parts of the world as well as the, the, the areas where we understand that small challenges are there, we can then focus and tailor better uh, those activities. That will make us you know, an organization that uses the resources better. Uh, it will make us more attractive to donors as well, which of course mm -hmm. is a competitive mm -hmm. area. From there is the image of the organization. And for me, mm -hmm. this is quite of a key one as well, mm -hmm. because we're very insular, we're very shipping, but we're not the only ones facing challenges of diversity, inclusion, the environment, protection of the oceans, etc. So we can learn from other sectors, from other stakeholders, uh, from the private sector, from um, all the UN agencies as well. And it's being out there, just changing the, the language as well that we speak. We need to reach out to the newer generations. And as you rightly correctly mm. at the beginning, not just speak the acronyms and the rules of the organizations. We need to be more creative as well, how we actually attract. And of course, we get a lot of attention right now, and, and mm. rightly so. And it could be negative. But for me, we need to actually use that in a way that we learn um, whether we are not communicating our successes properly, whether we actually have some more work to do, and what is it that we're going to do to, to, to those areas where the criticism, you know, it has mm. to be accepted. We're not perfect. We're always improving. And we have to acknowledge that we can actually continue to improve. And we need that feedback in order to do so. And the last part, which of course we, we kind of covered as well, um, is the staff of the organization. It's the people that actually move the, the, uh, the, the IMO, uh, the, money, the International Monetary Organization. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the staff, and it's, and it's just empowering them, being more geographically representative, having inclusion, 
um, but being ethical as well and being responsible but be accountable for the work that we do in the organization i want to you know work together with the member states on the areas that we can improve reduce again bureaucracy procedures just be a more flexible more nimble organization that is actually more attractive and really looking forward yeah. to be an organization for the future because that's my that's my mission to put people in planet first and that's what the organization should be aiming at What's your diversity rate? What, and what's the percentage of women do you have in senior roles there at the IMO at the moment? Is it industry average or, or lower, higher? It's at the UN level. And mm. uh, we're not bad, we mm. put, uh, put it that way, for an industry that uh, it's always been seen as a, as a male-dominated mm. one, which, of course, for me, that's not an excuse anymore. Um, and well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I, but I've met many yeah. professional mm. women mm. that actually we mm. can engage into the sector. Yeah. And shipping is not just seafaring. Shipping yeah, is exactly. bigger than that. Mm. And this is where we actually have to be quite diverse. So within the organization, and inclusive, sorry, mm. within the organization, we're at a good level. However, where we really need to improve um, is at the man senior management level. And that's one of my course. And it's w by knowing the upcoming years when the different changes are going to take place in the organization when it comes to personnel retirement mm. shaping up it's a great opportunity and i will drive in order to use those opportunities immediately to start bringing those professional women that will demonstrate uh, that actually they are part of this sector and again it's the opportunity for inclusiveness um, to, to actually go beyond uh, just women in the organization because mm. we are UN mm. uh, and we're talking about different areas when we go to diversity, talk about race, which has become very relevant, mm. uh, you know, uh, around the world and in the UN, um, as well as, you know, disabilities, all those things that we mm. actually have to embrace as a UN agency. Now, my next question is talking about how are we going to separate Arsenio, the candidate, Panamanian candidate, from the Panamanian government and the Panamanian flag. And I ask that question because when we look at Dark Fleet activity, for example, Dark Fleet being those vessels that are deployed, solely deployed in, in US-sanctioned Iranian or Venezuelan trades or in Russian oil trades, some of which are sanctioned, Panama flags 43% by dead weight and the country's, country's um, registry world's largest flag registry has come under has been criticized by some groups for flagging vessels that are delivering Iranian oil and Venezuelan oil and, and Russian oil how do you separate yourself from those criticisms uh, thank you very valid question mm. um, and of course when I decided to put myself forward through this process mm. um, I was aware that there would be some challenges in the campaign and mm. one of those will be my nationality let me tell you out loud, I'm very proud and will always be very proud to be Panamanian. And that also, personally, mm. I feel that it gives me also the right to criticize my country when I feel that we can actually do better. Um, but I've demonstrated throughout my career at the organization in particular for all these 25 years um, that I'm an independent person, neutral, transparent, and that I have integrity. Um, I've demonstrated when I chair several meetings, not just the Marine Environmental Protection Committee, but I chair meetings of the committees of the Assembly. I chair meetings of, of piracy and armed robbery during the height of uh, piracy of the coast of Somalia, uh, and other technical meetings as well. When I was director of the Marine, uh, sorry, of the Administrative Division at IMO, again the same thing. 
this is the budget of the organization. There is an increase, regardless of the consensus for countries like Panama, this is what is right for IMO. And I will continue to do that. When I joined uh, the, the Panama Maritime Authority uh, back in 1998, we were great listening, blacklisted in some mm. of the Paris MOU. And it was one of my drivers to actually work on the organization, work with Panama in order to improve the image. Because that's what I want. I want to put Panama where it should be, on a pedestal with all the countries as well. That is a progressive country. We have a history of actually being good mediators when it comes to, uh, to international diplomatic uh, situations, particularly in the Americas. So that's what I bring as well. And this is what I am. Um, I will be one of the first ones, if not the first one, to call on Panama when things have to be done, the same way that I will call any other country. I will treat Panama the same way that I treat any other country because for me, it's improving as a flag, it's improving as a country and leaving the image uh, of the organization and its integrity in one whole. So that's Arsenio Dominguez. That's the person that you that is sitting here with you that will not change and will continue to call the shots when it's necessary. Do you think it will cost you votes though? Just being associated with Panama and you know those side campaigns that highlight the the deficiencies um, in, in some areas with, with the registry. I, I want to stand for what I just said about my mm. background, my experience, yeah. the integrity of how it was mm. demonstrated, and that, you know, the countries take this position very seriously. And I'm aware, this is not the first time that I'm going mm. through an election of a Secretary General at mm. the IMO. Mm. And of course, you know, there, there are several uh, items that are considered, several, several topics that are considered by countries when they actually move forward to uh, uh, provide the support or decide on the support to a particular person. Um, and what I can call them, it's, you know, continue to demonstrate and, and, and highlight my experience, my relevance, my transparency, my integrity, and that will not change. But I have to say at the same time that I've been very supported by the government because it was a decision, you know, that came from the president and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, from Panama has given me all the necessary support in order to drive this through the diplomatic channels as well. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast, Arsenio. And the vote is, I think, at the end of July. Is that right? No, it's mid-July. It's Tuesday, the 18th of July. July. It starts at 9.30 in the morning, the session. And we will not finish off until one person is elected as the next Secretary General of IMO. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Michelle.